0: Yeah. It is Thursday, June 24th, here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Shoff. With me as always, is Jared Smola. Jared, we're almost to the end of June. I've got my baseball hat on tonight because I'm about to coach the last game of the season for my son's team. I just figured it was like, I don't know, kind of a mini tribute, kind of the end of something on the same day that my kids finished school for the year, actually.
1: Uh, I bet, bet you're excited about that second part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's nice to have some extra help around the house to do the opposite of help as I'm getting into yes. busy work season. I, I'm getting baseball games out of the way. It's been fun, but it's at least one less thing that I have to worry about. So maybe it'll allow me to actually finish up the IDP projections that people keep asking me for. But I'm getting there in case you're one of those folks that's wondering.
1: little little extra time to get out on the golf course.
0: Yeah, right. I'm looking for things that are fun, actually. This is episode two of our eight part division preview series. We hit the NFC West last week. You can find that on draft sharks.com, on YouTube, on Facebook, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we head to the AFC West, where the Chiefs obviously currently dominate. A couple other teams might be on the rise, though. Jared, you did the profiles for this division. Any kind of overall summary or any teasers you want to throw out before we dig in?
1: Well, I was going to say, I mean, I think we might be looking at two of the top five offenses in the NFL in this division, you know, by the end of the year. So we got plenty of
0: firepower to, to talk about today. Yeah, and we'll see exactly which offenses, well, which other offense besides Kansas city that Jared's <laughs> referring to, but we're going to start with the Denver Broncos. And we always start with relevant coaching changes, even when there are none as there aren't in Denver this year, no big changes. Vic Fangio heads into his third season as Denver's head coach. Ed Donatel remains a defensive coordinator for UIDP folks. Pat Shermer hits year two. As the offensive coordinator, nearly identical run-pass split last year with Shermer as the OC versus the previous season without him. 57-43 pass run, despite Denver dipping from 7-9 to 5-11 last season. I just stuck with that for projecting the Broncos this season. Uh, The the situation-neutral play rate, at least, jumped from 2019 to 2020. They ranked 21st in 2019. 10th last year with Shermer around, ran nearly 80 more total offensive plays last season.
1: Yeah, so that was my first note here is that Denver ranked, as you said, 10th in situation neutral pace, 5th in overall pace, just 18th in total plays. So, you know, they, they wanted to be a fast offense. They, they just kind of didn't get there probably because, you know, they just weren't effective enough. So I do think there's upside for more plays here this season um, as you mentioned it was you know a, a, a run leaning offense uh Denver was 26th in situation neutral pass rates so, I and mean, even uh, when the scoreboard didn't dictate it they were leaning heavily towards the run I I took them up to 58% pass this year just because I I expect them to get better quarterback play which I guess I guess we can get into here.
0: And, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they even get to 60-plus because I'm not sure that the team is going to be very good. They do have a lot of receivers. But as Mm -hmm. you alluded to, one of the big issues last year, and probably the biggest issue, was lack of efficiency at quarterback. And that's probably why they brought in competition for Drew Locke this year. From a fantasy standpoint, there's a lot of talk about who's going to start at quarterback for Denver. I'm just – I don't believe that it really matters all that much unless Drew Locke takes a big leap in his play this year. And I say that because – We know what Teddy Bridgewater is at this point. He's accurate. He's throwing short range. He's done that now for three different teams. I don't think there's any reason to expect that to change. Drew Locke is just like one guy trying to control a fire hose. It's going to spray all over the place, but when he gets it pointed in the right direction, it can at least be efficient from a fantasy standpoint where he'll get yards and maybe some scoring opportunities.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, to me, between these two guys, there's no argument that, Teddy Bridgewater has been better as a pro so far. I mean, Drew Locke is entering his third season. So the argument for him is that you know he he's still yet to take a step forward. Um, you know, to me he he you know he was just so disappointing last year, and he was always like a you know boom bust prospect to begin with. And I, I'm just I'm just leaning towards that he is a bust. You know, we'll see what happens in training camp, what happens in preseason action. Um, I I, I kind of expect Bridgewater to to win this job. And, you know, I, I do think whoever's under center, and I'm not drafting either of these guys right now because I don't know who it's going to be. And, you know, and they, they both end up, might end up making starts this season. But I do think whoever wins the job, you know, could be someone we're looking at as a spot starter during the season because of the pass catching weapons and because both guys can run the ball a bit. You know, they're, they're, they both averaged right around 15 rushing yards per game for their careers, which, you know, is, is uh, something when you're looking, you
0: know, down the, down the list for a spot starter. I mean, for me, either one could be a spot starter just because every quarterback who starts can be a spot Mm -hmm. starter at some point. But I don't don't think we're mining a whole lot of value here. Again, I I think the the biggest upside in the Denver QB spot would be if Drew Locke just shows that he's ready to take this big leap versus last year. I think that's the shot that Denver has. But like you, I'm leaning toward just thinking that Drew Locke is not that good. Yep. Agreed. Running back notes, Broncos actually dropped from 22% target share for running backs in 2019 to just under 13% last year. Ninth highest in that category in 2019, down to fifth lowest with Pat Shermer around. If you look back over Pat Shermer's history, there's really no clear trend either way. It's not like he's been terrible for running back uh, targets. He also hasn't been awesome in other spots. You know, you can find spots where it was high, spots where it was low. So I don't think that there's necessarily a trend to read here. Um, But that's, I think, uh, an aspect worth, Paying attention to and considering while we project these running backs, probably wise for them to not target running backs
1: that much last year because Philip Lindsay has never been good in the passing game, and Melvin Gordon was really bad from an efficiency standpoint in the passing game last year. He finished dead last in both yards per target and yards per route run among 41 running backs with at least 30 targets last season. He was 39th among those 41 guys in PFF receiving grades so you know we'll talk about Javante Williams here but there is probably an opportunity for the rookie to get some passing game work right out of the gate if if Gordon isn't any better this season
0: yeah and Melvin Gordon is an interesting case he didn't help himself at all I'm sure by skipping voluntary spring workouts did return for the mandatory stuff we also don't know whether he hurt himself by being away it is optional I, I haven't seen anything where Denver coaches are blasting Melvin Gordon for not showing up Or, like, you know, fretting over him not being there. And Melvin Mm -hmm. Gordon's still around. He carries a nearly $9 million cap hit. We know that the Broncos liked him when they signed him. He is still around. So we certainly can't necessarily push him to the number two spot in a backfield that could just be mixed this year.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, Gordon wasn't good in the passing game last year. He was still effective on the ground. though. He averaged 4.6 yards per carry. That was the second-best mark of his career. Um, he was 10th among 47 qualifying running backs in both elusive rating and PFF rushing grade, so he, he was still effective last season. Um, Broncos obviously let Philip Lindsay go, but they did you know make that trade up to take Javante Williams in the early second round. So, you know, you, they're obviously high on him. I think the rookie's going to have a roll right away just you know how big of a role is is the question
0: yeah Williams looks good he drew some Nick Chubb comparisons as a prospect I think that oversells him a little bit I don't think he's Nick Chubb 2.0 but uh, you can certainly find plenty of measurables that speak to Javante Williams being a good runner and the fact that they moved up in round two to get him is obviously a big mark in his favor in, in terms of his role I think it's also worth looking back though at last year's round two running backs and we're generally excited about those players right now but I mean, DeAndre Swift did not even lead Detroit in carries last year. Jonathan Taylor delivered, but it took a little while. And he was also helped by Marlon Mack going down in week one. Cam Akers was delayed, mostly injury. We don't really know what a full season of healthy Cam Akers would have looked like. J.K. Dobbins finished with 10 fewer carries than Gus Edwards for the season. A.J. Dillon was a non-factor. So round two is definitely early. They moved up. It was early round two where they took Javante Williams. Um, But I want to make sure I don't overrate where he went just looking at recent history.
1: And so I looked at running backs picked in, in the first half of round two, you know, where Williams was picked over the previous 10 drafts. Um, there were 10 of those running backs that went in that range. Only three of those 10 topped 190 carries as rookies. The, the median among that group was 174 carries. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a fair range for Williams. Like unless – Gordon gets released, which I'm not expecting. I haven't heard any like reliable source say that that's really even a thought right now. I, you know, this is going to be a committee backfield. Both of these guys are going to remain involved. It's probably going to be a frustrating situation to try to, you know, guess at during the season if you're, you know, setting weekly lineups. Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm expecting.
0: And to that end, here's a fairly lengthy quote from Vic Fangio to ESPN recently. He said, well, I think there's enough work to be had for everybody if everybody proves they're worthy. I think you have to throw Mike Boone in in that when you talk about that position, too. We'll carve out a role for them. Obviously, Melvin isn't established back in this league played good for us last year and we like him we obviously like Williams and we like Boone so you never have enough backs and I'm confident that there will be enough work for all of them so I agree I think it's going to be a muddle I think it's going to be a committee I think it's worth noting he didn't mention Royce Freeman in that quote so maybe Mm -hmm. Royce Freeman is the kind of guy who is freed up to go to a team like Atlanta later on but for now there are three backs in a Denver backfield that's really not exciting on whole so for me I'm just not all that excited about a Denver running back this year
1: yeah, me either. And um, the you know the O line is a concern here too. They were twenty eighth last year in both PFF run blocking grades and Football Outsiders adjusted line yards. The unit looks pretty similar. There's no you know major upgrades made. So um, I, I think it's going to be a below
0: average run run blocking line again this season. Pass catcher notes, Courtland Sutton's coming off a week one ACL tear from last season, robbed us of the chance of seeing him with Jerry Judy basically at all last year. Two promising seasons for Sutton so far as an early round two pick. Of course, Denver took Judy 15th overall last season, then took KJ Hamler in round two. Um, Sutton cracked the top twenty fantasy wideouts in twenty nineteen, but ranked fifteenth at the position in targets even that season. Nearly doubled his nearest teammate that year in targets as well, one hundred and twenty four versus Noah Fant was number two at sixty six. So I mean, there's a lot of guessing going on as we project this Denver wide receiver core this season.
1: Yeah, it's one of the more interesting pass catching groups in the league to me because I mean I think the the talent you know this this could be when you look at Sutton, Judy, and then Noah Fant. You know, I think that trio, the two wide receivers and tight end, you know, it could be a top five unit talent wise. But, you know, then you got to figure out how the targets are going to be divvied and then you got to figure out the quarterback play. And, that, and that's why I'm hoping it's Bridgewater because I just think he's the type of guy that is just accurate enough to get all these guys the football and let, let them do their thing. But, yeah, I mean, so, like you said, he was a he was a, a prospect we all liked coming out of SMU, had the promising rookie season broke out in 2019 with you know, over 1100 yards on 72 catches. He was good that season in yards per route run. He was 12th among 47 or sorry 79 qualifying wide receivers that year. 13th in PFF receiving grade. So, you know, he looked like a guy on the ascent, you know, maybe even, you know, ready to have an even better season last year before the ACL. Uh, he tore his ACL and his MCL last year, so you know, multi ligament injury. He was Back to running by February, running pass routes by March. He said his game plan is to be ready for the start of training camp. You know the injury did happen in mid-September, so the timeline kind of works. Where expecting him to be ready for Week One, but you know these guys coming off ACLs, I think there's always a risk of at least them getting off to you know slower starts.
0: Yeah, he's definitely going to be worth watching through the summer to see what the reports say, to see if he's taking days off, if there are any kind of compensatory issues or whatever. We'll we'll keep an eye on Cortland Sutton throughout practice. Jerry Judy. Another guy that we all liked as a prospect, probably even more than Sutton uh, on a relative scale, wasn't very good as a rookie by any measure. And so the question is, why? Was it just, you know, a rookie struggling in the league? Was it a a multitude of factors? If we want to blame the quarterback play primarily, you know, I have to wonder if they really got better. And especially as it pertains to what Jerry Judy does well, or at least the role in which they tried to use him last year. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater would certainly improve the accuracy, but he would also shorten the A dot. So uh, Judy was a downfield guy last year. You know, maybe could he be like this year's Robbie Anderson, where he's a downfield guy going to this team with Teddy Bridgewater. Now all of a sudden he's a short range guy. They target him a lot more often. He's efficient from a catch standpoint, not piling up the yard so much. Or is that Cortland Sutton with this team? Or is neither guy fitting that kind of role? Last year it was Judy had a 14.6 A dot. Cortland Sutton's also been more of a downfield guy. So, I mean, it's just another question with this team, not knowing exactly what the plan's going to be and how the quarterback competition might affect the way that these guys are deployed.
1: Yeah, and, you know, not, not to keep going back to, to Bridgewater, but, you know, he, he did produce three top 30 fantasy wide receivers in Carolina last year. So, you know, regardless of how he's doing it, if it's short stuff, you know, he, he, he did get that production from those guys. And, you know, I, th- I think Sutton and Judy are at least as good as D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson, yeah, so I mean, I mean, Judy's usage last year was was all you could have asked for. The targets, the air—he was like top five in the NFL in air yards. But you know, his his final stat line was disappointing. Part of it, like you said, was quarterback play. He had the second lowest catchable target rate among eighty-four qualifying wide receivers. Then he also had all those drops—twelve uh, drops, according to PFF an 18.8% drop rate. That was the second worst mark in the NFL. I, I'm just, I'm just not worried about that. I mean, his hands were an issue coming out of, out of Alabama. Um, our, our, our buddy Hayden Winks uh, just posted an article today, kind of looking at what matters for projecting wide receiver performance. And he actually found a negative correlation between drops and fantasy points. You know, basically dropping the ball means you're getting opportunities, you know, getting targets, which is what we want. So I'm not worried about the drops at all. You, you just got to hope, Judy gets better quarterback play this season, I, I still think he, he's an, uh, you know, what was an awesome looking prospect is a guy who's going to be a su- success in the NFL. So he's someone
0: that I, I just want to bet on in general. This might be pushing it a little too far, but I'm not sure that it's accurate to say that uh, Judy and Sutton are at least as good as DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I mean, I think DJ Moore is the best player among those four. We'll see what, what Judy turns into. I, Robbie Anderson and Cortland Sutton look fairly similar to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'd lean Sutton there, and then yeah, you know, I, I I think Judy can be a, as good as DJ Moore, but yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, the the more Anderson combo is definitely more proven so far.
0: I'll I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. So I, I for me the it's tough to separate here. I don't know whether Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy is going to outperform the other, and maybe that gets revealed somewhat in the summer by how they're talked about and how healthy Sutton is. So the way that I'm trying to separate here is who am I really going to regret not buying if I'm not in on them. And and for me right now, based on their price, I, I don't think either Sutton or Judy fits that category for me. I'm not scared of missing out on something special in 2021 with either player by not drafting them that much.
1: So Sutton at wide receiver 31, Judy at wide receiver 35. I mean, that's the FFPC data we have. I, I you know, th- that's, close to where we have both those guys ranked. And you know, maybe as we get into more lineup setting stuff and like individual leagues, I won't be targeting them so heavily, but you know, you know I'm doing all these underdog basketballs right now where I'm, you know, going to be building a portfolio of, you know, 30, 40 teams. And they're, they're definitely guys I'm getting pieces of Judy, especially I've drafted a lot, probably too much of Jerry Judy. I don't know my, you know, exposure percentage, but it, yeah, it might be like over 50% right now. Um, again, I, they're just two talents, I believe in, you know, and they're going in wide receiver three range. So I don't think it's, you know, a a huge cost. I think both of them have
0: the potential to finish top 20 this season. Well, we'll get to Jerry Judy a bit more in a minute. Um, I I think a big part of why I'm not all that interested in targeting the two wideouts is that Noah Fant to me looks better from a value standpoint among them. He edged Mark Andrews for fifth in my personal PPR projections among tight ends. So that's Mm -hmm. above where he's going ADP wise. And I think if it is Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, he could be even better for Noah Fant's outlook than he would be for any of the wideouts on this team.
1: Yeah, I could see that um, as kind of the short-range stuff. You know, Caroline didn't have a tight end do much last season, but I think that's more Joe Brady's system than anything to do with Teddy Bridgewater. Fant, you know, again, like Sutton and Judy, just a talent I want to bet on. He was an excellent-looking prospect coming out of Iowa, had a strong rookie season. His, his season last year, too. So Fant last year finished uh, PPR 12 in, in – uh, sorry – tight end 12 and PPR points per game, 18th and non PPR. But he, you know, he had a, a funky season. There was, you know, there was that one game where the Broncos were missing all their quarterbacks against the saints. So you, you throw that out. Fant left week four, about halfway through with an ankle injury. Then he played just five snaps in week 14 due to an illness. So, you know, he basically only played 12 real games last season. And if you, you just look at those games, he was fifth among tight ends in PPR points per game, 10th in non PPR. So um, yeah, I mean, he, Fant's going tight on eight right now in FFPC. I think that's a fair spot, and it's definitely a spot that he is capable of
0: beating. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and you can see more in, in Jared's uh, Noah Fant hype video if you go to the Draft Sharks mm-hmm. Twitter feed or the YouTube page. I, I've barely mentioned KJ Hamler Had not mentioned Tim Patrick yet. It's basically because I don't care about them at all in fantasy this year. I, I don't see any reason to bet on a third or fourth Denver receiver in this system.
1: Nope. And, you know, I mean, Patrick was pretty good. If you look at some of the efficiency stuff last year and Hamler is, you know, I think still an intriguing prospect, but they're going to need an injury to, you know, Sutton or Judy
0: to have a chance at fantasy value this season. Yeah. Who I like here the most is Noah Fant. Uh, Tight end Mm -hmm. eight in FFPC best ball ADP on draftsharks.com right now. It's not a must draft spot, but I think it's certainly a fine value for him. And I do think that he has upside from that spot. As I mentioned, I have him fifth in my um, early PPR projections, at least. And at, at, at the least, I think he's a reason that you can wait uh, beyond the other tight ends going just ahead of him, more than necessarily needing to reach over ADP to get to him.
1: Yeah, again, you know, with Fant, Sutton, and Judy, um, you know, they're not like screaming values if you look at you know ADP versus first where they sit in the rankings. But there, there are three guys I just I just want to get pieces of because I do think the upside you know if if one of them just kind of emerges as like the the clear lead guy and gets a target share higher than than what we're expecting I think the upside is big
0: on on all three of them Jerry Judy can tell me uh, whether his ADP is different on underdog because I don't know it offhand he's inside wide receiver three range on FFPC drafting even if he hits there I what what is the upside I mean I think that he has to outperform Cortland Sutton to be a, a real hit from there otherwise I don't know, a low end wide receiver three on this team doesn't excite me. And I don't know that either player has wide receiver one upside. So I I just I don't find any reason to go chasing Jerry Judy in that range where I'm reaching for him ahead of somebody like Curtis Samuel.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. You said wide receiver 30. I don't have his underdog ADP there. It feels like it might be even a bit later an underdog. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I like him and I think Judy could definitely outproduce. Courtland Sutton this season. I mean, I, I like Sutton as a prospect. I, I thought, I think Judy was a better looking prospect coming out and, you know, he's not coming off the major knee injury. So I definitely think it's possible that, that Judy
0: leads this team in targets and fantasy points this year. Mm-hmm. Kansas city chiefs, anything on the coaching changes front for them, Jared?
1: Nothing. It's Andy Reid again, you know, 23rd year as an NFL head coach His ninth with the chiefs. I, I, you know, I think when looking at the chiefs, you just want to look at the last three years when it was Andy Reid. And Patrick Mahomes. And man, they've been remarkably consistent as far as pass rate in those three seasons. It's gone 61.1% pass, 61.6% pass, and then 61.9% pass. So, you know, I I just went 61.5% pass this season. Feel, feel pretty good about that one.
0: Yeah, I went sixty-two thirty-eight. 38 It's probably just when I did the math, that's how the the numbers pushed it when I went from fractions to whole numbers, but whatever. <laughs> exactly. When it goes that close for three straight years, you stick with it and enjoy yourself.
1: Yep, the Chiefs have also been 6th, uh, 6th, and then 7th in situation-neutral pace uh, under Reed Mahomes the past three seasons. So it's a team that you know we can expect
0: to be near the top of the league in total offensive plays. And it's interesting note, I think, that they were in that range each of the past three years. Um, Before that, his first five seasons in Kansas City, Andy Reid, the offense didn't crack 59% in pass. So clearly he has adjusted what what the plan is for this otherworldly quarterback that landed in his lap. And let's get to QB notes and talk about that quarterback. You don't have to say a whole lot about Patrick Mahomes. I think people are pretty familiar with what he can do. Uh, He trailed only Dak Prescott in fantasy points per games last year if you want to throw in Marcus Mariota's one game for the Raiders, then <laughs> Mariota was also ahead of Mahomes. But uh, for multi-game players, we'll say that it was Dak and then Patrick Mahomes. I'm probably not the Mahomes drafter just because of how early you have to make that move, unless we're talking about going for a chief stack in a best ball tournament. Um, but I think that Mahomes should certainly be the first quarterback off the board.
1: Yep. No argument here. Um, yeah, I think that two, Notes on Mahomes, the you know, the turf toe injury he suffered in the playoffs last year. He had surgery on that, you know, issue on February 10th. He was a full participant in minicamp, though. Um, so I, you know that that sh- that should be a non-issue by the time the season rolls around. And the, the Chiefs O-line. I mean, obviously, if you watch the Super Bowl, you saw what a problem that was. You know, uh during the season, Mahomes was pressured on 34% of his dropbacks. That was 14th highest in the league. It was six percentage points higher than it was in 2019. So, you know, the Chiefs went out and addressed that this offseason. They made a trade for tackle uh, Orlando Brown from Baltimore, um, who's, you know, been good in PFF pass blocking grades the past couple seasons. They signed guard Joe Tooney to a five-year $80 million deal. He was third among 63 qualifying guards in PFF's uh, 2020 pass blocking grades. They signed Kyle Long. They signed Austin Blythe. They drafted Creed Humphrey. In round two so it should be a much improved o-line you know it might be the best o-line that mahomes has played behind as a pro so far
0: yeah i mean we'll see exactly how it turns out because o-line is one of those places where you can't necessarily add all the pieces together and get the sum that you think you're going to get but they clearly went full renovation on the o-line they saw that they had issues that they wanted to fix so i mean At this point, we're going to have to trust that Andy Reid knows what he's doing, especially from the O-line, a guy who played offensive line in college and came up coaching uh, that area as well. Running back notes, Jared, Clyde Edwards-E-Lair, you made your video case for him the other day. What do you you have to say about the second-year guy?
1: Yeah, you know, I did the whole video and I'm still kind of like wishy-washy on CE. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think you can make a case for him to be an RB1. I think you can make a case for him to, you know, drop, you know, closer to like the, the back end of the top 20. His, his rookies, you know, there were there were good things about his rookie season. There were bad things about his rookie season. I mean, the, the Chiefs clearly tried to make him like a workhorse back early on. Uh, Edwards-Lair averaged 7.8. carries and 5.2 targets over his first six games. That sunk to 9.9 carries and 3.1 targets over the final nine. You know, there were some injuries in there, but, you know, they clearly scaled him back, obviously adding Le'Veon Bell. They got Daryl Williams more in the mix. Um, His his work near the goal line kind of followed a similar path. He had nine carries inside the five over his first five games, just two carries inside the five over his final eight. Um, But, I mean, heading into this season, he's still in a good spot. Le'Veon Bell is gone. Darrell Williams is back. They add Jarek McKinnon. But, I mean, you know, they took this guy with a 32nd overall pick last year. They still want Edwards-Alaire to be the lead back. He's playing with Patrick Mahomes. He's playing an Andy Reid offense that has pretty, you know, regularly produced, you know, top 16 PPR running backs. Um, so, I, I think, I think you know, push comes to shove. I'm still buying Edwards-Alaire just because of the opportunity more than anything else, even though I think his rookie season was, you know, just s- sort of May.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not excited about him. There are definitely some you guys need to be drafting clyde edwards D lair earlier people out there. That's not me, but I'm also not going to be out on clyde edwards dee lair uh, totally because he's down, well down from where he was last season. You can get him in round three as opposed to in round one as a rookie. And probably the biggest mark in his favor right now is what's behind him on the depth chart, Jarek McKinnon. They brought in Kyle Shanahan phased Jarek McKinnon out last year, even while he was dealing with injuries to the other running backs on that roster. Darrell Williams is still around. He carried 39 times last year, which was 24 fewer than Le'Veon Bell in seven more games with the team. It's his third season with the team. I don't see why Daryl Williams would suddenly get that much more work. He had more carries and receptions per game in 2019 than he did last season with Daryl Williams. Darwin Thompson, I mean, I don't know if the Chiefs see any upside. They brought in Jarek McKinnon. They're bringing in other guys to step ahead of him on the depth chart. So I wouldn't be surprised if the number two back for the Chiefs this season is not yet on this roster. We've seen that the Chiefs are not scared of adding guys late in the process. LaShawn McCoy a couple of years ago, Le'Veon Bell during the season last year. So I, I would not be shocked if they add somebody. At the moment though, if they don't add anything else, I think it's a big win for CEH and speaks to what they expect from him this year. Yeah,
1: I'm with you there. I I, I do think, you know, Andy Reid and the Chiefs just trust Daryl Williams. You know, I, I I'm not even gonna say they they like love the guy, but I think they just trust him. I mean you look at the Super Bowl and I, I think Edwards Zelaire was probably back to a hundred percent by then uh edwards outcarried Daryl Williams nine to two in that game, but Williams saw seven targets to Edwards-Laird's three. Um, so that, that that's kind of my my slight concern is you know whether they they trust edwards totally in the passing game, whether they trust him at the goal line. You know that that those are the two things we want in our running backs: targets and touchdowns. So it's something I'll be watching. You know this summer, you know we get into preseason action. There there, ha- there have been a few stories out of Kansas City about them wanting to get their running backs in general. More involved in the passing game, so again, you know, we'll we'll see if that's Edwards Eller or if it's you know some of Williams, some of Jarek McKinnon, maybe.
0: Yeah, I think the dynamic here is Daryl Williams maybe could be their Damian Williams versus Clyde Edwards Eller being their Kareem Hunt. Where if Edwards Eller goes down, then certainly Daryl Williams can step in and get a lot of stuff, and maybe even if Ceh. Struggles a little bit. Maybe they shove a little bit more toward Daryl Williams, but I, I think if they really saw a high ceiling on Daryl Williams's output, they would have gotten him more involved by now.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and I mean, Williams signed a one-year, one-point-six million-dollar deal, you know, to stay with the Chiefs, and
0: you know, that kind of tells mm-hmm. you they, they you know, view him as a backup, and the rest of the league probably does too. Pass catcher notes: Travis Kelsey, twenty-three percent target share last year, right in line with his twenty-nineteen share. <laughs> Uh, Big numbers overall, he's had five straight seasons as the number one tight end in fantasy. So, I mean, the only question really on Travis Kelsey is whether you should pay the price that you now need to to get that number one tight end. I think the mark in favor of Kelsey for me, he's very unlikely to kill you unless he gets hurt. Obviously, that's a possibility for any player, but Travis Kelsey is not going to crap out just from a production standpoint, the way that, you know, maybe some of the first round running backs could, there are guys up there who could disappoint you, even if they're healthy for nearly all the season. Now, I think if you do draft Kelsey in round one this year, you have to know that he's probably not going to match last year's scoring. Last year's points were 2.3 points per game ahead of his previous best and 4.8 PPR points per game ahead of what he posted in 2019. So there was definitely some good luck to his fantasy production last year.
1: Yeah, I think you're basically buying floor when you, you know, draft Kelsey in, in the middle of round one. I yeah, I think I think Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill, you know, the two top pass catchers on this team might be the two safest picks in round one. And like you said, Kelsey's just been so good for you know a handful of years now. He, you know, he, he does turn 32 this coming October, but there's just been no signs of decline from the guy. He actually set a career high in yards per route run last season, hasn't missed a game due to injury since 2014. So I just think he's I just think he's super safe.
0: Mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill, I agree, is similarly safe, safer than you probably think when you just look at the type of player that he is. He also saw 23% target share if you include the playoffs last year. In the five games that Sammy Watkins missed, Tyreek Hill saw 27%. Um, he was a little bit over 24% the year before when healthy. So that's right in the range where we should expect Hill. It's not quite the top of the league, but it is inside the top 10 among receivers perennially. Um PPR wise, Tyreek Hill has been top 10 at the position for four straight years. 2019, he missed those games, but 10th in points per game that season, third in points per game without the two partial games, the ones where he left early in that season. So if you look at, at it that way, the past three seasons have all seen Tyreek Hill finish among the top three fantasy wideouts.
1: And, and he's even, you know, last year, what was safe from a weekly basis, you know, from your from your wide receiver scoring review article. Um, a league high 12 weeks as a top 24 PPR wide receiver for, for Tyreek Hills. You know, he has the massive ceiling we saw like against that in that game against the Bucs, but he was also super safe uh, from week to week. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out like who who's going to emerge as, as the number three guy here with Sammy Watkins gone. I think Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey could, could both set, you know, new career highs in target share this season. So, you know, again, th- there are two guys I'm totally comfortable you know, kind of bucking the trend, not taking a running back round one and taking Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kill instead.
0: Yeah, I agree. Sammy Watkins we're wondering who's going to step into that spot. It doesn't really matter all that much though. Sammy Watkins, um, he fin- finished, where do I have those numbers? He, he, the chief's number two wide receiver has only finished among the top 50 once over the past five years. And that was Sammy Watkins finishing 50th. Uh, one of those years. So, this has not been a spot that's given us good numbers overall for the season. Uh, Sammy Watkins spent about half the time in the slot, which is actually the same way that Tyreek Hill's time is broken down half slot, half out wide. But Sammy Watkins did shorter range stuff than Tyreek Hill. He had a much shorter dot, the shortest dots of his career, much shorter than he had at his previous two stops. So, I wonder what that tells us about his replacement. Both Byron Pringle and Nicole Hardman split their time pretty evenly between those two spots and saw those shorter eight outs similar to what Sammy Watkins saw with the Chiefs. So, I mean, both of those guys look squarely in the mix for that spot.
1: Yeah. And if you look at last year, it was Demarcus Robinson who benefited when Sammy Watkins missed time. You know, it, it in the past, at least, it seems like, you know, the Chiefs have viewed Hardman as like the Tyreek Hill replacement, and Robinson more of the Sammy Watkins. I mean, Rob, Robinson did average five targets and 4.2 catches per game in the six games Watkins missed last season. McCole uh, Hardman averaged just 3.2 targets in the, in those games. Um, you know, Hardman is interesting to me this year, if only because he's like cheaper and people have kind of given up on him after not really taking a step forward in year two. I still think there's a chance. He has more to give us. I mean, remember, he was very inexperienced at wide receiver coming out of Georgia. So wouldn't be surprised if he if it takes him a third year to, third year to get going. Um, but with all these guys, I mean, Hardman, Robinson, I think Byron Pringle could be the mix, in the mix still. He actually is going to be making more money than uh, Demarcus Robinson this season, if that means anything. So I've been taking some shots on those guys late in best ball address. But, uh, you know, once we get to lineup setting leagues, as you said, you know, these Chiefs wide receivers just haven't, you know, be behind Tyreek Hill haven't been guys we can count on in, you know, lineup setting leagues.
0: Yeah. Cornell Powell might be in the mix as well, a rookie fourth rounder, but uh, I'm going to wait until summer and see what they're saying about him at training camp rather than draft him right now. So let's jump to the, the, who I like part. I'm good with all the, the big names at cost here, but at, I'm most interested in the guys we were just talking about. Nicole Hardman, Byron Pringle, at their later draft prices. You mentioned McCall Hardman's going a little bit later than he was last year. Wide receiver, 52 in FFPC ADP, late round 12. I I like that. He was inside the top 40 at times last year. I will absolutely take him in that range. At the least, there's spike week potential. There's handcuff potential to Tyreek Hill if Tyreek Hill goes down. Um, And then, you know, there's just the chance that he does take the next step and gets to be a more consistent target for this top-notch offense.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually fine with everyone at cost on the Chiefs besides Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, is is going at, at 3-8 right now in FFPC drafts, and, and yeah, I, I, th- I think he's the safest of the elite quarterbacks, but I think Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, and Dak Prescott all have similar upside, and you can get, you know, you can usually get one of those guys in the fifth round, so I I've, I've I've actually taken Mahomes this year in the fourth. You know, he's gotten to like the mid fourth, but you know in the mid third I'm 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 not taking him there.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not even reaching in round 3 to complete a a chief stack because I think you're giving up value in doing okay. that. The who I don't side is any running back behind Clyde edwards Lair. I think most teams in the league there's some level where I'll be interested somewhat interested in buying a second running back. Kansas City, I'm going to wait and see what happens. If the number two back is already on the roster, as I said, I think it's great news for C.E.H. and I think there's a decent chance that that number two guy is not yet on the team.
1: Yeah, I, I've drafted Daryl Williams once or twice. Um, again, I, I just think they trust him, and I think if Edwards does, I mean, we saw it last year. If Evers Edwards, was hurt, and you know, the, the late in the season, and even those first couple playoff games, you know, they trusted Williams to handle, you know, twelve. 13 carries per game and do stuff in the passing game. So you know, as a ha- like handcuff, I don't think he's going to have standalone value, but as a handcuff in the 19th round, you know, attached to this Chiefs offense, I have some interest there. Although I- I'm curious to see if they add anyone or if uh, McKinnon chose enough this summer to, you know, be- become a factor. Nah, he's done.
0: Uh, anybody that you don't like among the Chiefs? Just, just that Patrick Mahomes guy. All right, on to the Las Vegas Raiders. Relevant coaching changes, I'm going to go ahead and say new defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley. Uh, We can get into that elsewhere, though, for the IDP folks who are playing real fantasy football. On the offensive side, there's nothing. John Gruden heads into year four of stint two with the Raiders. Greg Olson will be his OC for the fourth straight year. The team has improved its ranking in yards and points each of the past two years, up from 23rd in total yards in their first season to 11th and then 8th up from 28th and scoring in that first season to 24th and then 10th last year. Their Football Outsiders DVOA was up the past two years as well. 25th in 2018, up to 9th and down to 14th, but we'll take that a uh, DVO, uh, DVOA in that range. So the offense has been solid to good over the past two years, probably more so than most people um, realize.
1: Yeah, John Gruden's not as, as bad of a you know head coach as you know people want to make him out to be. I, I remember when, when the Raiders made the hire you know a few years ago. Looking back at his history, you know it, it's been pretty solid overall. You know, maybe better for real life than fantasy though, because at least with the Raiders he has leaned towards the run. You know last year they were 25th in uh, situation neutral pass rate, so you know de- definitely a team that you know has wanted to to lean towards the run. I, I think that's going to continue this season.
0: Yeah, they've been about 56% pass each of the past two years, Uh, 57.6% pass is the average for the three seasons since Gruden returned. That's what I use for projections this year, just in case they are worse than they were last year, year before seven and nine, eight and eight the past two years. And I mean, looking at the team overall, I'm not sure how they got better this off season. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do slip from that, those two records.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I went 56 percent, you know, could see him getting up to, you know, 57, 58 if they're trailing more this season. But, you know, you look, they, they you know, the the big I think the biggest addition they made to the skill positions was Kenny and Drake, you know, mm-hmm. adding to the backfield with Josh Jacobs. You know, that I think just tells me they, they want to continue to lean on their on the run.
0: Yeah, they should have John Gruden coach and not involved in personnel stuff is, I think, the, the takeaway here. QB notes, Derek Carr is probably underrated in real life. Eighth in PFF passing grade each of the past two years. All we hear about every offseason is like, oh, who are they going to get to replace Derek Carr now? I think they're fine at quarterback and their actions speak to that as well. 13th and 16th in fantasy points the past two years for Derek Carr. That seems like a good level. The thing is, it's at the level where it just doesn't really matter that much. The upside is lacking. Top 12 scoring weeks in seven of his 16 games last year you want to check out the QB scoring review article he had just one game of 30 plus which is basically a top five week last week so I mean that's not a high level for the position there are plenty of quarterbacks ahead of him so you'll get somebody who's fine and you can draft him late but there's not a whole lot of fantasy upside to mine in Derek Carr
1: right I mean you know he's finished 18th 16th and 13th among quarterbacks and fantasy points the past three seasons he'll, he'll probably finish higher than he's drafted this year, but you know, that, that doesn't mean he's going to be more valuable than where he's picked, just because as you said, he's, he's not going to provide those spike weeks, um, you know, returns a similar pass catching cast this year, they lost Nelson Aguilar, add John Brown. I think, you know, the Raiders are going to hope to get more out of the, the two guys. They draft the two wideouts they drafted last year. I, I think the concern for Carr and the offense is the offensive line. Um, after the, they, you know, they lost Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson, two starters from last year, who both fared well in PFF pass blocking grades. Looks like they're going to be replaced by Andre James and Richie Incognito. Those, you know, look like downgrades. They did spend a first-round pick on uh, Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama. You know, we'll we'll see what he does. But I think the offensive line looks worse heading into this year than it was last year.
0: Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, Let's jump to those pass catchers because you uh, alluded to them a minute ago. I mean, it it starts with Darren Waller, obviously. He just posted the eighth-best PPR total ever for a tight end, three-and-a-half more points per game. Uh, Than he had in 2019, and his target share was up pretty significantly, 22.4% in 2019, which is already high for a tight end, up to 26.3% last year, and now number two target Nelson Aguilar is of course gone to New England. So I mean, uh, can I say that Darren Waller is going to hit 26% again? I guess probably not, but I can't say that there's going to be a significant drop from that this year.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's fair. Um, you know, I kind of started the off hating on Darren Waller how high he was going in drafts. You know, I kind of sat down, did projections. I think, I think it's, I feel better about it. I, I do, I do think last year was like the ceiling though. I mean, 146 targets that led the position. It was the 11th most all time by, you know, a tight end. So, you know, again, I, th- I think that's the ceiling. He probably comes down a bit, but you know I also think, you know, kind of like Travis Kelsey, he, he's a fairly safe pick just because, you know, that, that volume in this passing
0: game is, is going to be so big. Yeah, I would say that the argument against Darren Waller is not that he doesn't belong at tight end two or somewhere in the top three, but that the top three tight ends have too much separation from the next few guys of the position.
1: Yeah, at least Waller and Kittle. I mean, I you know I
0: think going back to Kelsey, he deserves to, you know have, have separation from everyone else. At the at wideout, Henry Ruggs. I mean, you know, we could dig into whether these guys are good and what kind of fantasy upside they have, but Henry Ruggs is the highest in ADP wide receiver 57 in FFPC drafts, John Brown, wide receiver 66, Brian Edwards, wide receiver 79. I mean, Hunter Renfro basically undrafted. So it's, it's almost pointless to make arguments for or against them because yeah. all you can say is look how ladies going, I'm going to get some Henry rugs in case they throw him the ball 130 times.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I noted Henry rugs hater have actually drafted him a few <laughs> times already this season because of, um, you know, the, the, the cheap price tag, just the fact that, You know, the Raiders took this guy, what was it, 12th overall last year. I mean, they're, you know, they're going to work to get him going and, you know, get him to have a better second season than he was as a rookie. But they used him wrong last year. We talked about this like pre draft. Henry Ruggs is not great going deep. He's better on the short stuff and using that speed after the catch. But 35% of his targets last year came 20 plus yards downfield. That was the fourth highest rate among 70 qualifying wide receivers. He caught just five of of, uh, 15 targets deep. But he, you know, when when he got a chance to do stuff after the catch, he was good. Five point seven yards after the catch per reception last year. That was 15th best among qualifying wide receivers. He, he just didn't get enough of those chances. So you know, hopefully the Raiders figure it out. They you know scheme up more short stuff for him because I still think he can be effective if they get him the ball there.
0: Yeah. So I'm in on some Henry Ruggs at what you have to pay to get him this year. I'm in on John Brown where you get him. I've backed off a little bit. I was getting more John Brown early. Now, I think it's been a little bit more Brian Edwards mixed in. But basically, uh, there's none of these guys that I'm like, I'm taking this one every time. But every time that I get to the point where I'm taking an eighth receiver, I'm like, well, I'll take one of these Raiders. This guy could lead that position in targets.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't talk bad about John Brown. I, I love the guy. Um, he, he wasn't good last year, though. Maybe it was because of all the injuries he dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that injuries have also been a problem throughout his career. He turned 31 in April. So it it kind of last year might've been the beginning of the end for him. You know, he he signed just a one year, $3.75 million deal in free agency. You know, that's like, that's like borderline starter money. Um, so we'll see Brian Edwards is a guy I'm more excited about. Um, you know, he, he opened the season basically as a starter for the Raiders. He played 75 and 61% of the offensive snaps in Vegas, first two games. Then he, you know, sprained his ankle missed the next month and, you know, kind of, you know, didn't reemerge the rest of the way, but, you know, he, he was a prospect to be liked. I mean, his college production was, you know, about as good as it gets from a market share perspective. Um, and he was the 81st overall pick of last year's draft. So, you know, I, I, I think I, you know, if the Rangers could have their way, it would be Henry Ruggs and, and Brian Edwards is the top two receivers on this team this season.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I've been very interested in Brian Edwards at his late draft price. So let's go back to the backfield where Josh Jacobs Mm -hmm. finished RB8 in total points in PPR last year, 15th in points per game though, Uh, tied for 13th in rate of RB1 weeks, did so in a third of his outings on the season, 5 of 15. You can check my running back scoring review article from February for more details on that. But just to kind of put it in some context, the guys who matched him at that rate of you know, one third of their outings, Melvin Gordon, Miles Sanders, David Johnson, Jeff Wilson Jr. So you look at the overall numbers and Josh Jacobs had a really good fantasy season, but if you break it down a little bit more, it wasn't quite that good. That said, he's now going RB twenty one. So people are baking in that consideration. Nobody it's like we all of drafters have gotten smarter. So nobody's looking at it and saying Josh Jacobs was RB eight last year. I'm drafting him as RB eight this year because I know he can do it.
1: Yeah, I think he's he's priced right about where he should be. I mean, it was, was kind of TD dependent last season because, you know, he once again, you know, kind of underwhelmed in the passing game. He was just 24th among running backs and targets, 24th in catches, 25th in receiving yards. Wasn't very efficient in the passing game. If you look at, you know, yards per route run, PFF receiving grade. But, you know, he, he did score 12 rushing touchdowns. That was fourth in the league. And he tied for the league lead with 35 carries inside the 10-yard line, ranked fifth in carries inside the five-yard line. So you, you can't really say the rushing touchdowns were a fluke. Um, I think he has the upside to you know score double-digit TDs again this season if you know the Raiders' offense doesn't take a step back, as we you know sort of talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned the Raiders being more effective overall on offense the past two years than most people probably realize. Of course, another big factor in why people aren't excited about Josh Jacobs right now is that Kenyon Drake joined the team, got $11 million on a two-year deal in free agency. That's pretty big money for a running back switching teams, a veteran running back, but his annual average ranks a more modest 13th at the position this season. It's behind Tariq Cohen. It's behind Kareem Hunt. It's just a million more than Gus Edwards, just two million more than Jalen Richard, who of course is a new teammate. The Raiders could have cut Jalen Richard by now. They have not. We'll see if that happens at some point this summer. But you know, I think that's just a little bit of context. It's not that There was this huge market, I don't think, I don't know for sure, but I I don't think that there was this huge market for Kenyon Drake and the Raiders swooped in to pay what they needed to to get him. I think they were bidding against themselves for a player that they wanted to add.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Um, You know, Drake wasn't very – Good last year, if you look at, you know, elusive rating, he was 44th among 47 qualifying running backs. He was 39th in PFF rushing grade. You know, he was near the bottom of running backs in yards per route run in PFF receiving grade. He, you know, he dealt with injuries. He had that foot injury in like late August where he was in a boot and we, you know, we weren't sure what it was. He hurt his ankle in October. So, you know, maybe he just, you know, wasn't healthy for most of the season. But, you know, if you look at all, all the, you know, stuff Gruden has said about Kenny and Drake, it sounds like they want to use him more in the passing game. I, I think it was crazy as it might sound based on what they paid him. I think they might just see him as like an upgrade over jail and Rashard. So you know, I, I still think Jacobs is going to handle the majority, you know, as long as he's healthy, the, the majority of the rushing work here. I think Jacobs receiving role is going to remain frustrating. And that, you know, again, Drake might just be like a, a souped up version of Richard. Maybe he sees a bit more work on the ground, but um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be like a true committee backfield, at least on early downs.
0: Yeah, I think Drake is probably viewed as an upgrade on the combo of Devontae Booker and Jalen Richard, which I think adds a little bit more value to his position than maybe Devontae Booker would have provided last year. Booker leaves behind, by the way, 21% carry share, 4% of the targets. So we could immediately give those numbers to Drake, I think. And there's room for him to siphon a bit from Jacobs without crushing Jacobs' fantasy value. Siphon a bit from Jalen Richard. Again, we'll see if maybe Jalen Richard doesn't even wind up on the active roster because they can cut him without any cap penalty, at least according to what Track has. Um, right after they signed Kenyon Drake, it wasn't like we need to have him here to share stuff with Josh Jacobs so that there's less on his plate. It was, here's a player that we can use in lots of different ways. Gruden even mentioned the return game. So yep. they clearly view Kenyon Drake as an athlete that they can deploy in various ways rather than somebody who's taking work away from Jacobs and Josh Jacobs, even though he missed a game last season, ranked fifth of the position in carry share. So he could lose some of that carry share to Kenyon Drake and still be in good shape relative to other running backs and relative to where he's going in drafts right now, which again is RB21. Yeah,
1: there, there are a couple of quotes from Gruden in the uh, Jacobs and Drake profiles on our site if you want to check them out. But yeah, I mean, he, he basically, he, he mentioned, he mentioned you know, kind of like an insurance thing, like Drake's some insurance for Jacobs. And he also mentioned you know wanting to get Drake involved in the passing game.
0: Jared, who do you like among Raiders and drafts right now?
1: Yeah, I I have like no like hot takes on this team. Like I, again, I think I think the wide receivers. I think Henry Ruggs, you know, wide receiver fifty seven, uh, John Brown, wide receiver sixty six, Brian Edwards, wide receiver eighty. They're all fine where they're going. I think you can take you know some shares of them. I think Darren Waller is fine if you can get him in the third round of standard leagues. I think he's fine in the second round in FFPC. Um, you know, I think. Derek Carr not exciting. I think I think the the running backs are kind of fairly priced. You know Jacobs at RB 21, Drake at RB 41. So it's it's not you know it's not not a team I've been drafting a ton of, but I also don't think anyone's overvalued because you know no one's excited about the, this Raiders offense.
0: Yeah, nobody I'm in hot pursuit of, but those wideouts late are are what interests me the mm-hmm. most. Rugs, Brown, Edwards. And I mean, it's even easier to like them after seeing what Nelson Aguilar did with the Raiders last season. He was coming off a crappy finish in Philly where we all thought oh, Nelson Aguilar is done. He got a one year deal with the Raiders. He's about to disappear. No, he became a top 36 receiver and got a big contract from the Patriots. So I mean, with, from that scope, it's not hard to envision Henry Ruggs turning in something useful for fantasy owners or somebody else if it's not Henry Ruggs, um, who I don't. Kenyon Drake doesn't do much for me. I, I won't tell you he's a terrible pick at RB41 because there's no such thing as a terrible pick at that range, but Jamal Williams is right behind him. Naheem Hines is behind him. Daryl Henderson's behind him. And then right in front of Kenyon Drake are David Johnson, Gus Edwards. I mean, all those guys for best ball interest me more than Drake. And then Drake's role doesn't do a whole lot for me for a lineup setting format I think we're going to need a Josh Jacobs injury to make him startable when we're setting our lineups
1: yes agreed I think in lineup setting you kind of you, you know value Drake as a handcuff to Jacobs I don't think he's going to have a big enough role where you know feel good about putting him in your you know lineup setting leagues I think in basketball there's a chance you know he has some four or five six catch games where he gets in there so again I think he's Okay, at RB41. I do prefer Jamal Williams, as you mentioned. Um, Daryl
0: Henderson are two guys I would rather have than, than Kenyon Drake. Anybody else on the who I don't front? Nope. Let's go to the Chargers then to wrap it up. And Jared, hit me with any relevant coaching changes here.
1: Yeah, brand new staff here. Um, Brandon Staley coming in as head coach. You know, he, he's a, a defensive minded guy you know he went from linebackers coach with the bears and broncos to rams defensive coordinator last year now he's the chargers head coach at just 38 years old so you know maybe the next you know new new wonder kid head coach um but it's going to be joe lombardi running the offense um and he spent most of his time in the nfl with the saints under sean payton he's had two different stints in new orleans uh including the past five as quarterbacks coach um in between those two stints, he did spend two years as the Lions OC in 2014 and 2015. Those offenses weren't great. Uh, both ranked in the bottom half of the league in total yards and total points. The run games were horrible. Um, you know, they, they were led by guys like Amir Abdullah, Joik Bell, Reggie Bush. So, you know, maybe, you know, the personnel had, had something to do with that. But um, both teams did finish top 12 in passing yards. Uh, you know, under Matt Stafford. Stafford topped 4,200 yards in both those years. He he tossed 54 total touchdowns across those two seasons. I think the interesting thing here about those two years with the Lions, um, they finished seventh and first in pass rate those two seasons. And they, they were also fifth in situation neutral pace in both of those years. So it was a fast paced offense and it was a, you know, a pass heavy offense. You know, the pass heavy thing probably had something to do with the fact that the running game was so mm-hmm. bad, but you know, yeah, I I still think I'm still, you know, kind of expecting this to be a fast-paced and pass-leaning offense this season.
0: I'm not I'm trying not to set any expectations here because I don't think that we know much of Joe Lombardi yet. He had just the two seasons as OC as you mentioned in Detroit, spent the past 5 in New Orleans as a QB's coach. I mean, I think we can assume that he got some good tutelage there under Sean Payton. I'm also going to assume that it wasn't Joe Lombardi's offense as opposed to Sean Payton's offense. So, you know, again, I'm just not considering a net positive or negative. I'm not really letting it impact my expectations uh, on any of the players for the Chargers. Yep, that's fair. Um, one other note I wanted to make about the Chargers:
1: um, they ran 1,127 plays last season. That led the league. Um, it was the most over the past two seasons. It was the second most over the past five seasons. So, I, I even if they're fast paced this season, I think you're going to get fewer plays from the chargers, maybe significantly fewer plays, you know, that, that, that's something to keep in mind. I, I will talk about, it. i like this offense I'm investing in it, but um, you know, that, that's I think a downside here is just, you know, decreased play volume.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you give your run pass split for the chargers?
1: I didn't, um, but I went 61% pass, um, which is high. Again, based on Lombardi's time with the Lions, just based on the personnel here, you know, with a, a, a good young quarterback, a, a nice group of pass catchers, a lead running back who is, you know, best in the passing game. So I think it would make sense for them to, you know, be one of the pass
0: heavier teams. Yeah, I don't think that we know what to expect from him yet. I just went with the average from the past seven offenses that he's been in, those two in Detroit, the five in New Orleans, 59-41. So it's a very similar range. I think it's a fair range for expectations here. The, the five Saints offenses that Lombardi was in recently, 57-43 um, pass run. So, you know, we'll see, but that's the starting point at least. QB notes, Justin Herbert it was awesome as a rookie. I mean, if you're trying, you could find some numbers that made him look a bit more average than people think. Um, more average than the fantasy production made him look, but it was a rookie quarterback. He did more than anybody expected. I'm going to continue betting on Herbert going forward. The problem from a fantasy standpoint is that so is everyone else now. He's going to be six in FFPC ADP.
1: Yeah, he's, you know, I think Herbert and really most – Guys on this Chargers team are, are priced fairly. You know, you're not going to get discounts when, when drafting Chargers. It doesn't mean I don't, don't like them, but you know they're not coming at his values. But yeah, Herbert, the, uh, the second most fantasy points by a rookie quarterback in NFL history, behind only Cam Newton, right ahead of uh, Robert Griffin, Dak Prescott, and Kyler Murray. He, he benefited from a, a couple things Herbert did. Uh pass volume, you know, 595 pass attempts. That was fourth most in the NFL, despite, you know, him not even playing week one. I think, you know, that goes back to the fact that the Chargers just ran so many plays last season. Um, He was also seventh among quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns, despite being outside the top 10 in both carries and rushing yards. So the rush touchdowns probably regress a bit in 2021. Although it is worth noting that um, he ranked fourth among quarterbacks with seven carries inside the five yard line. So at least the the old coaching staff was using him, you know, as a runner near the goal line. We'll see if uh, uh, Joe Lombardi does the
0: same thing. And you know maybe a weak backfield just gives him more opportunities in that facet. Plus, even if you lose some of the rushing touchdowns, his his passing touchdown rate was 5.2 percent last year. So that's an easily easy easily repeatable number. Apparently not easy to say, um, and also a number that he could come up on to make up for some of that yep
1: and and you know, and we'll get into the the other guys here, but um you know Herbert dealt with a bunch of injuries to his pass catchers last season. Keenan Allen missed two games, was limited for two others. Uh, Mike Williams missed one game, was limited in three, and Austin Eckler missed six games and was limited in one. so you know there there's upside for the you know, the pass catching court should be healthier this season, which can
0: only help Herbert. The biggest risk maybe, and something that I didn't look into before the show, is what is maybe if he gets a chest injury and they have the same team doctor that treated Tyrod Taylor last year. I mean, if we get a a lung puncture to treat any injury issue here, maybe that could knock Herbert out.
1: Yeah, stay away from the needles, Justin.
0: (laughs) Running back notes, Austin Eckler lost basically seven games last year to a week four hamstring tear. In his healthy games, 17.9% target share. That would have ranked third behind Alvin Kamara and J.D. McKissick among running backs for the season. Even his carry share, 44.7%, obviously a bit on the low side for a lead back, but that would have ranked 12th at the position for the season. So we're not talking about, you know, Chase Edmonds on steroids here. Austin Eckler is a guy who gets the ball a good bit in both phases.
1: Yeah, 13.4 carries in those healthy games last season as an average. Average – targets. I mean, that's, that's fantasy gold, especially in PPR. I mean, you know, beginning 13 or 14 carries plus seven targets per game. I mean, just Eckler has been for the past two years now, you know, one of, if not the most effective pass catching back in the league. Um, He actually led. All, qual- all qualifying running backs in yards per route run back in 2019. He was fifth in that category last year. And now you get Joe Lombardi, who, you know, just spent the past you know few seasons with Alvin Kamara. And, you know, I think some of us fantasy people sort of made that connection back when they hired Lombardi. And then uh, James Palmer of NFL Network had a report uh, a- a- about a month ago basically saying that, you know, Lombardi envisions, envisions using Eckler similarly to how the Saints did um, – with Alvin Kamara, and you know Kamara's caught you know eighty plus balls the, the past few years, so I definitely think that is within the range of outcomes for Eckler.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't see why he couldn't perform similarly. I mean, Alvin Kamara is obviously a very good player, but he was also a third round pick entering the league. He's not a four 40 guy, so he's been excellent. Not an otherworldly kind of generational player. So Austin Eckler, his price has risen. He's around the one two turn at this point, but he belongs there. It seems like.
1: He does. I think so. Um, Should be running behind a better O-line, too. Um, You know, the Chargers signed center Corey Lindsley in free agency. Uh, They drafted Rashawn Slater in the first round of the draft. So, you know, it's been kind of a shaky O-line in years past, but I think it has the potential to be, you know, at least an average unit this season.
0: What's shaky with the Chargers this season for sure is the depth chart behind Austin Eckler in the backfield or joining him. However you want to look at it. Joshua Kelly disappointed big time as a rookie. The Chargers are clearly disappointed. You know, he gets a restart with a new coaching staff, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go better. Justin Jackson hasn't been able to stay healthy. And yet the only significant addition this offseason was Larry Roundtree in round six. And, you know, we'll see how significant that actually is. It's round six. So new coaching staff, we'll see what they think of all these players, but I think what else is around Austin Eckler in that backfield can only help his available opportunities.
1: Right. You know, I think you know, who the number two back is, I'm not sure it matters from a fantasy perspective you know, outside of an Eckler injury because, you know, in Eckler's healthy games last season, the other Chargers running backs combined for, to average just eight carries and 3.1 targets per game. You know that, That's not, that's not enough to be someone you can, you know, throw into a, a weekly fantasy lineup. So I'm not sure who it's going to be. As you said, Kelly was horrible last year. Jackson hasn't been able to stay healthy. Roundtree's just, you know, not an exciting guy. You know, maybe they add someone else Um, and we'll see what the usage looks like under the new coaching staff. But again, if it's, if it's like, it was last season, you know, the number two back is not going to be a fantasy factor.
0: Mm -hmm. Now it seemed early, like the very start of the year, it seemed like Joshua Kelly was headed for more work. They wanted to give him more stuff. So You know, the new coaching staff changes everything. Let us see how it goes. But there's nothing scary to an Austin Eckler owner behind Eckler in that backfield. The pass catcher notes, Keenan Allen. This is obviously another top-heavy depth chart. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams are there, and and Keenan Keenan Allen, a much bigger slice of the pie. But we'll get to both of them for sure. 28.6% target share in 12 healthy games for Keenan Allen last year. 11 healthy outings with Justin Herbert. He fell short of 10 targets in just one of those games. Keenan Allen did have the shortest average depth of target for his career. But, I mean, if you're catching not eight, nine balls every game, it doesn't really matter how far downfield you are.
1: Yeah, 29% target share in those 11 healthy games with Justin Herbert. And now, you know, the Chargers lose Hunter Henry, who was second on the team last year with 93 targets. You know, they they added Jared Cook at tight end. Um, you know, Eckler is going to be healthier this season, hopefully. But, I mean, you know, Allen is a candidate to lead
0: the league in targets this season if he stays healthy hmm. Mike Williams, 12 end zone targets last year, tied for 13th in the league, according to Pro Football Focus, but caught only two of them that tied for 70th. 31 players had 10 plus end zone targets last season. Williams was one of just four who failed to score at least three times. So I, the upside on Mike Williams is pretty obvious, I think.
1: Yeah, he's been like the the you know the poster boy of TD volatility or t- uh, volatility since entering the league. He's had some you know double digit touchdown seasons, some seasons uh, with just a couple scores. You know, but basically he he's scored as like a lower end wide receiver three in fantasy points per game if you just look at it over the past three seasons now. So I think you know that that's that's kind of the floor here. And if the offense takes a step forward, I think you know Williams could finish even higher. We, we've had jo- uh, Joe Lombardi talking up Mike Williams, you know, as the X receiver that, you know, the position Michael Thomas has played for the saints and, you know, Michael, uh, Mike Williams is not going to come close to Michael Thomas's level of production, but it does, it does seem like his role could even grow a bit in uh, Joe Lombardi's offense.
0: He's a perfect wide receiver five or six in a best ball lineup because he can score two touchdowns in any given week. I mean, I I'd be, I'm okay with Williams. as like my wide receiver four. Mm-hmm um beyond those guys it, we'll see how the the roles get sorted out Tyron Johnson ESPN recently had a post where they provided a surprise player from each team from many camps they had the beat writer for that team uh pick out one surprise guy Tyron Johnson was the pick for the Chargers Shelly Smith said coaches quote coaches talked him up all the time or I'm sorry talked him up big time so it was Tyron Johnson playing behind Jalen Guyton last year, but Tyron Johnson was a was seeing his first action. It was his second year as an undrafted free agent, but he saw no playing time as an actual rookie his first year in the league. Saw his role grow over the final quarter of last season when Keenan Allen was out. Um, he broke out as a 22-year-old in his final college season, so not the kind of prospect that we get excited about. He's already 25, but... Did have production that season, was the number two wide receiver on that Oklahoma State team behind Tylen Wallace at that point. And now it's him against Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer. There's some excitement about Josh Palmer, the rookie, of course, who came in round three this year. But it wouldn't be shocking if Josh Palmer takes a little bit of time to develop and Tyron Johnson is that guy opposite Mike Williams this year.
1: Yeah, and Jalen Guyton, if you look at like almost any efficiency metric, was like near the bottom of the league. So to me, he's like the third guy. Among these three, I think you know it's going to be either Tyron Johnson or Josh Palmer as the third target, you know, third wide receiver in this passing game. You know, kind of like with the other running backs, though, I don't think it's going to matter in at least lineup setting leagues. If you look at the ten games that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were both at full strength last season, Tyron Johnson and Jalen Guyton combined for forty-one targets in those ten games, a full season pace of sixty-six targets. So, you know, that, that's just not enough for lineup setting leagues. I do think you know Tyron Johnson and Josh Palmer are, are uh, fine shots to take late in best ball. You know, if we expect this to be a, you know, top five offense, I think, you know, there, there's room for one or both of those guys to have a few spiked weeks.
0: And I would say take one of those guys if you have Justin Herbert as one of your quarterbacks. Otherwise, Matt, I, there's probably somebody with more upside than either of those guys at the same spot. That is a good point. I, I
1: think stacking with your late late wide receivers is, is, you know, just as if not more
0: beneficial than, you know, stacking with, with the early round guys. Mm-hmm. Tight end. Jared Cook arrived in free agency. Donald Parham is a dude. And then they drafted Trey McKitty from Georgia in round three. I think, you know, you could pick out any one of them and find some positives. I think the fact that all of them are there leaves me not very interested in the position on whole.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it, it sounds like they view McKitty as more of a blocker, at least for now. Um, you know, Donald Parham has like fans in the fantasy community. I'm not sure that the Chargers like him as much as, you know, fantasy people do. Jared Cook got, you know, a, a one year fully guaranteed $4.5 million deal. So you know, decent money. He is reuniting with Joe Lombardi who, you know, they, they spent uh, the past two years together in New Orleans. So he should be pretty familiar with the offense and, and, and you know, Cook just, uh, despite turning 34 in April, he was still effective last season, 11th in yards per route run among 34 qualifying tight ends, 14th in PFF receiving grades. So I, I think Cook is the, is the favorite to lead, you know, this group in targets and, you know, he's going cheap enough in drafts. He's a uh, tight end 22 and FF uh, PC ADP. Again, just because I like this chargers offense, I think cook makes some sense at that price.
0: Yeah. I don't have any problem with taking cook where he's going. He just doesn't stand out for upside versus other guys in that range there are yeah. lots of tight ends that you can make a case for down there. Donald Parham will, will be interesting. I want to see what they say about him in the summer. Again, it's a new coaching staff. So we don't really know. Um, He, you know, he's big, really big six, eight, I think it is. Uh, athletic, and he put up enormous receiving numbers at the end of college. It was D three, I believe. Um, So, you know, that might explain it, but you know, it's, it's not hard to look at all that and and think something about Donald Parham as a late tight end, but you know, we'll see again, I'm not overly excited about any of those guys who I like. I would say Mike Williams is my favorite charger at cost for best ball season. Um, He will still certainly be in play when I get to teams where I'm setting the lineups every week, but I do think that when we transition more to those drafts, Keenan Allen gets even prettier when I'm looking at a team where I have to set the lineup every week, because I will absolutely never take him out as long as he's healthy.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think Mike Williams is probably the best value here. Um, Wide receiver 48 in FFPC ADP. I think, you know, he's, I'd bet on him finishing 10 plus spots higher than that. Um, I think, Keenan Allen, you know, he's going in like the mid third round in most drafts. I think he's just fair there. Like, I'll, If I have a mid third round pick, I'm definitely considering Keenan Allen. And same goes for Austin Eckler. He's going, you know, at the tail end of round one. I think that's where he should be going. I think he could even go a few spots higher. I think you know, he sits a couple spots higher than that in our rankings. So Eckler is another guy I've, I've drafted plenty of. Anybody that you don't like among these chargers? I have Justin Herbert here, and it's kind of the same argument as I had for uh, Patrick Mahomes. It's just the price tag. Quarterback sixth, uh, going at 604 in FFPC best balls, You know, I can get Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott around earlier. I can get Russell Wilson, who I, I actually prefer straight up to Justin Herbert, although it's you know super close, but I can get Wilson like around later. So uh, I, I just I don't like the value on Herbert compared to those other guys.
0: Yeah, same here. I'm betting on Herbert as the player, but he's less than around behind Dak Prescott just in front of Russell Wilson as you said I prefer Wilson straight up you know I, I'm not saying it's definitely Russell Wilson over just Justin Herbert at the end of this year but if I'm picking between them it's Wilson more often and I can also wait for Jalen Hurts Tom Brady Matthew Stafford and Ryan Tannehill stands out as a comparison for me here I mean does Herbert really beat Ryan Tannehill in, in ceiling I mean we got most of two seasons now where Ryan Tannehill has been a top eight fantasy quarterback for Tennessee. He's showed us the ceiling that we want to get from our quarterback, especially. And now he's swapped out Corey Davis for Julio Jones. And we're still looking at, even though Tannehill has climbed an ADP since then, he's still two and a half rounds behind Justin Herbert. So I don't think there's two and a half rounds of difference in the fantasy profiles of Ryan Tannehill and Justin Herbert.
1: Yeah. I'm still recalibrating my uh, Ryan Tannehill thoughts, you know, post Julio Jones trades. I was all out on him pre Julio. Um, definitely, obviously, more in on him now. I, I do, you know, not to get too much into Tannehill, but I, I do still think Arthur Smith's departure
0: is going to hurt that offense. I think it'll hurt, but we also might see more passing than we're yeah. used to with them. Uh, and if it's a worse offense, maybe we'll see a little bit more Ryan Tannehill scrambling. But we also know the one thing we know for sure is that because you're a Dolphins fan, we cannot trust your opinion of Ryan Tannehill at all.
1: No, no, no. I, I, I like Tannehill. Yeah, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I was being, uh, you know, I was being objective with the, with the take uh, pre Julio trade, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that
0: for the um, AFC South preview. That's right. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to draftsharks.com. Now you can see exactly where we project all of these players that we discussed today and dive into our meaty profiles for each guy. Subscribe to the draftsharks YouTube channel. You can prepare for upcoming episodes of this divisional preview series and find other stuff along the way as well. Find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at schauf DS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.